Todd graduated from Northeastern State University. He has a master's from Dallas Theological Seminary and a doctorate from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. He is the founder and international director of The Traveling Team, a national missions mobilization movement. He and his wife, Jessica, have spent over a decade traveling both nationwide and abroad, speaking to thousands of people about involvement in world evangelization. Todd has exposure in over 60 countries and has lived in the Middle East. He is the author of the Abrahamic Revolution. And in this generation, Todd and Jessica have five children. Would you welcome Todd to this pulpit this morning? Welcome back. Love you, man. Good morning. Imagine, if you would, that you are a Navy SEAL and you live in San Diego, California, and the commanding officer summons you to duty and says, something happens today that has never happened in the history. Five cruise ships are simultaneously sinking. Thousands are on board every cruise ship. And he says, the first cruise ship is five miles off the shore. The second is 10 miles off the shore. The third is 15, the fourth 20, and the fifth 25 miles off the shore. And he says to you as a Navy SEAL, go save the people. So you load up in the helicopter and you go to the first cruise ship because it makes sense. You load people on the first cruise ship and you come back to base. Now you have a decision to make. Are you going to fly over the needs of the first and second cruise ship in, in order to go to the third and fourth cruise ship? Probably not. You don't want to waste time and energy and resources to do that. So you go back to the first cruise ship, come back to base. Go back to the first cruise ship, come back to base. Go back to the first cruise ship, come back to base. Now let's change the commanding officer's command, but keep the story. Five cruise ships are simultaneously sinking. The first is five miles off the shore, 10, 15, 20, 25. The commanding officer summons you to duty and says this. At the end of the day, I want there to be a representative from every cruise ship standing on this shore to tell the news what happened aboard their ship. Now you go to the Fifth cruise ship first, then the fourth, then the third, and no cruise ship will be visited twice before every cruise ship is visited at least once. God is interested in reaching every cruise ship. For the sake of our analogy, those five cruise ships represent every people group. And so for, the, for this morning, I just want the first cruise ship, when you think of the first cruise ship, I want you to think of North America. When you think of the second cruise ship, I want you to think of Latin America. When you think of the third cruise ship, I want you to think of Europe. When you think of the fourth cruise ship, I want you to think of the Middle East and Asia. And when you think of the fifth cruise ship, I want you to think of those with zero access to the gospel. We have done a great job sending people and reaching the first, second, and third cruise ship. We have done a terrible job at reaching the fourth. And I'm here to tell you this morning, the vast majority of believers don't even know there's a fifth. They don't even know there's a fifth. God is interested in reaching every cruise ship. We're not called to a place. We're called to a person. And, and what that means is that person is interested in reaching all these cruise ships. So even if you're here in Omaha, you have a part to play of reaching the fourth and fifth cruise ship, whether it's through prayer, mobilization, or resources that you personally have. We all need to reach the, 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 the cruise ships. Now, for the sake of our analogy, where do we get this idea of the cruise ships. And why is that important to know? We must get our definition from scripture of missions. And Jesus gives us the definition of missions that he's interested in reaching every cruise ship. Look at this. He says this, you, Jesus are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. This is the last verse we looked at last week. And God says, I'm interested in every people, every tribe, 
every language to have a representative around my throne to worship Jesus. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 9 when God tells Noah he wants every elephant on the ark? He says, go get every elephant and get him on the ark. No, he doesn't. In Genesis 9, he says, two of every kind. Even on page 9 of the Bible, God is interested in all kinds. He shows us that. But again, unfortunately, we do not do a good job at understanding the needs of the world. And so we keep sending people to that first and second cruise ship. Instead of understanding the idea of people groups. Where do we get the idea of the cruise ships or people groups? It actually comes from scripture. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go and make disciples of all nations. That word nation in Greek is ethnos. Ethnos literally translates people groups. People groups. Now let's say you're sitting at Starbucks. You know the good one on 72nd here. Let's say you're sitting at the good Starbucks right here on 72nd and, and, and you're just reading your Bible and someone comes up to you and they're like, hey, I'm a student and I have to take this class and I have to answer this question for my geography class. And the question is, what's a nation? And you're like, oh, okay. Well, there's, I think there's 217 of them. They have clearly marked borders. They have a prime minister, a dictator, a president. They have a currency, a military. They're a part of the UN. And like, he's like, thank you so much. That's the way we define a nation. Go and make disciples of all nations. That's our definition. But in 33 AD, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, that wasn't his definition. His definition was literally people groups. What's the difference between a nation and people groups? Well, here's the nation of Nigeria. And let's just say you fly over Nigeria and you land in Abuja and you share the gospel with people in Nigeria. And let's just say everybody on this mission trip that you went on is receiving Christ. And you're like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. And everybody they share with comes to Christ. You're like, my newsletter back home is going to be epic. And, and, and you see the move of the hand of God. At that pace, how long would it take to reach Nigeria? And the answer is, even at that pace, it's never. How? Because this is the way we see Nigeria, the nation. But when you think about the people groups of Nigeria, there's 455 languages in Nigeria. We don't need the gospel just to the nation of Nigeria. We need the gospel to every people group of Nigeria. And even when we send missionaries to Nigeria, we don't need to ask the question to where are you going? It doesn't help me that you're going to Nigeria. I need to know to whom. To whom? Are you going with the Yorubas? Are you going with the, the houses in the north? Those are two totally different types of people groups. It's not about to where are you going. It's about to whom. To whom. How many people groups in the world? I mean, there's 7 billion people, but how many people groups are in the world? And the answer is 16,699 people groups, making up 7 billion people live on the planet. Now, mission strategists, those who study missions, have said, okay, we need to help the gospel get to those on the fourth and fifth cruise ship, those with no access. So they decided, let's take out every people group in this list that has less than 2% Christian for their people group. And let's give them a special category called the unreached. And today... There's 6,900 with less than 2%. Some of these people groups make up 10 million people. 
making up 2.7 billion total. But then mission strategists realize, wait a minute, we've got this whole third category. We've got this whole third category. And to get in this third category, you just have to have one stat across every division. You have to get in the third category, you have to have 0%. That means your people group, to be in the third category, you have to have 0% Christians, 0% Bible translated in your language, 0% missionaries working in your people group, 0 churches, 0 hope. And once you have that, we call you the, we don't even know you're out there. The unengaged. The unengaged. And I think today that's the greatest tragedy. That we still have entire people groups with zero percent. Zero percent. If you had to write a one-sentence summary of the last 100 years of American missions, here it is. If you had to write a one-sentence summary of the last 100 years of American missions, here it is. We've done a great job sending Christians to help Christians become better Christians. We've done a great job sending Christians to help Christians become better Christians. We don't even understand the language. I had one girl come up to me and she's like, Todd, I went to my pastor and I said, we've got to pray for the unengaged. We need to have a conference for the unengaged. We need to reach the unengaged. And his response was, I don't think there's anything wrong with being single your whole life. I mean, we don't even know the language. Where are the vast majority of these unengaged and unreached? 95% fall in this box that we looked at last week. The 1040 window. I would say 100%, but Indonesia, the largest Muslim country, falls just outside. 62 countries of the world live in this box. Every major world religion was birthed there. And again, we are all responsible, no matter what place you live now, to reach these unengaged. And so I want to give you an acronym that will help you go back to your community of believers that you live in and just challenge them about the needs of the world, how to pray for them and what God's doing among them. And so the acronym is called THUMB, THUMB, T-H-U-M-B. If you don't have a thumb, your neighbor does. T is for tribes. A friend of mine, Brad Buster, sent me this. He's like, hey, can you find me? I'm like, bro, you look like a rock. Brad Buser at age 18 left his uh, pro surfing career in, in California and moved to the Ateti peoples. And he began to tell me, man, Todd, it, it, the, 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 listen to these stats, okay? 6,912 languages in the world. 6,912. 5,100 of those languages are spoken among the tribal world. The tribal world only makes up 3% of the planet, yet they speak 75% of all the languages. And so it makes it very difficult to reach them. When my wife was in Papua New Guinea, the tribe she was helping translate the Bible, the tribe she was with, the one kilometer over, a new tribe, they didn't have one similar language, one similar word in their language. 
And so it makes it very difficult to reach the tribal world. When one kilometer away, a whole other tribe, there's not one single word that's the same. Think about it. In high school, if you have to take a second language, you take Spanish. Nobody takes tribal, right? How was class? <laughs> you like your teacher? <laughs> but my friend Brad, he spent 18 years in the Ateti peoples. He got back home to California. He, he didn't leave unless until he gave them the New Testament in their language. He got back home in, in California, and um, he received a letter from the Sonoy peoples one kilometer over. And he showed me the letter. He's like, I don't even know how they got the letter. He showed him the letter. I have the letter. They say this, what's going on? What, where is our help? Have you forgot about us? We of the Sonoy haven't forgot about you. We want a missionary. We carry a huge, heavy load constantly about this. We carry this heavy load because we fear for our lives. We know the Bible. The Bible says that we sh- you should come and tell us, dark ones, but you haven't. How will we go to God's place if not? Only those who know will go. How will we know if no one teaches us? That's my worry. We want a missionary to give us God talk. God is moving among the tribal world. He just needs volunteers to go. T is for tribes. H is for Hindus. T, H is for Hindus. Now, now, what does it mean to be a Hindu? What does it mean what, when someone says they're a Hindu? For some, it means they're vegetarian. For some, it means they worship many gods. Actually, in, in, interesting, we got Hinduism because European explorers left the, the mountains of Turkey and came over to the Indus Valley civilization. They saw the Indus River. And when they got there, they saw these, these people worshiping 33 gods and singing a thousand hymns. And they're like, these people worship many gods. I have called them the Indus peoples. They go back to Europe and they're like, what did you find? We found people who worship many gods by a river named Indus. They're the Indus peoples. And Europeans, because they couldn't say Indus without a strong H on the front, it became known as the Hindus peoples. Think about the, India. In India, in India, four out of five people are Hindu. Hindus run 40% of the high-tech firms in California. 24 million Christians in India, making up 2.3% of the population. Hinduism meets other religions by including them. There's no pope. There's no creed. There's no founder. There's no one central book. When they come across other religions like Buddhism and Confucianism and Taoism, they say, come on in, the water's great. They just add them to it. Today, Hinduism is the third largest religion in the world. And every morning at the Bombay Stock Exchange in Mumbai traders start the day by chanting the 108 names of the god Ganesh. Now, I just want to tell you about the story about the god Ganesh because he's so popular in India. So Shiva, Lord Shiva, God Shiva, marries goddess Parvati, and they have a baby boy named Ganesh. Shiva, who's the destroyer god in India, goes on a far-off journey, comes back several years later to find a man out front of his house who won't let him in. Well, Shiva's the destroyer god, so he takes out his sword and he severs the man's head. Out from the house comes Parvati, his wife, seeing that Shiva has severed the head of their son who grew up and he didn't recognize him. He had, his own father severed Ganesh's head. Shiva, when he hears about this, is devastated. So he vows, whatever walks by next, I'll take its head and place it on our son. Well, this isn't Omaha, so it wasn't a dog, a cat, or a squirrel. This is India, so it was an elephant. And so the first head transplant in the known world happened as the elephant's head was placed on Ganesh. A hundred million Hindus worship the god Ganesh. So you go to India, you share Christ with your Hindu friend, you're like, I want you to know who Jesus is. And he's like, we love Jesus, but Ganesh is our favorite. A buddy of mine 
sent me a text from Delhi. He's like, bro, you're going to never believe this sign. They're trying to get all teenagers to wear helmets. And so they've got this whole like advertisement campaign. Care for your head. Not everyone gets a replacement. And there's Ganesh. And maybe God has you reach the Hindus around you. T is for tribes. H is for Hindus. You turn it on its side and make it a C for China. You kick it over on its side to stay with the acronym thumb and make it a C for China. 1255, 1255 AD, Marco Polo enters China. He finds favor with the Kublai Khan in his court. After a few years of building a friendship with the Kublai Khan, he says, I'm going to go back home to the Pope at Rome and I'm going to, give, I'm going to talk about what I learned from you. The Kublai Khan says to Marco Polo, give this decree to the Pope at Rome and tell him if he sends a hundred of his best priests, me and my entire cabinet will convert to Christianity. Historians call it the most open door to the gospel in history. The Pope saw the decree, put the decree out in Rome, and after 22 years, two priests finally volunteered. One died en route, the other, John Amante, took seven years to get there. Almost 30 years later, the gospel got to Kublai Khan, however he had died. If you're born in China, you have three options of religions. You can be a Confucianist, a Taoist, or a Buddhist. All three of those in their historical origins deny the existence of God. Yet God is moving. I mean, think about this. In 1950, there were 10 million Christians in China. Today, the government won't even print the statistics because they say it's too high. There's like 80 million. But the problem with those 80 million is they're all tucked within one people group. T is for tribes, H is for Hindus, U is for Chinese, M is for Methodists. Baptists are next. 570 AD, a man by the name of Muhammad ibn Abdu'Allah was born in Mecca, Saudi Arabia. We know him as Muhammad. He was born in Mecca, Saudi Arabia. It's important to know that in 570 AD, the people in Mecca worshipped 360 different gods. So Muhammad was raised thinking there's many gods. His mother and father died uh, by the time he was six. He was raised by his uncle. He never learned to read or write. He was, he just could, all he did in life was take caravans across the desert and avoid being robbed by caravan routers. On one particular caravan route, he came across people who called themselves Jews. And he asked the Jews, how many gods do you worship? And the Jews said, we worship one God. On another caravan route, he came across Christians. And he asked the Christians, how many gods do you worship? And they said, we worship one God. And Muhammad was like, is God one or 360? And then he met a woman 15 years older who'd been married twice before. Her husband's had passed away. Her name was Khadijah. He marries Khadijah. And for the first time in his life, he has wealth. He begins to steal away and fast and pray. His favorite place to go was a mountain in Saudi Arabia. And in 610 AD, it is said that the angel Gabriel appeared to Muhammad and the holiest phrase of Islam was born. La ilaha illallah wa Muhammad Rasul Allah. La ilaha illallah wa Muhammad Rasulullah. There is one God, Allah, and you, Muhammad, are his prophet. He didn't tell many people. Eventually, over the next 10 years, he gathered a group of about 100 followers, and his own tribe, the Heshemites, tried to kill him. He fled north to a city called Medina, and for the next 13 years, it grew from 100 to 13,000. He goes back down to Mecca, and in a bloodless battle, he was crowned prophet and king. 
He died that year at age 63 of a fever. And today, two out of every seven people breathing would die for that man. When you think about the Muslim world, I was in a mosque in Los Angeles, California. The imam, the leader of the mosque, took me downstairs. He's like, I want to show you this map of the world. We're asking Allah to send from the green, which is highly Islamic, to those who do not know Allah in the pink and red. We're calling it our 80-60 window. They're really excited that Christians are sending Christians to help Christians become better Christians. But God is moving. I mean, think about this. Think about this. A Pakistani college student comes from Pakistan to Rhode Island, goes to college, doesn't know his roommate. His roommate's name's David. Over the next four years, David leads his roommate to Christ. He didn't know this, but his roommate was like journaling the whole thing. After he came to Christ, he sent his notes to a publisher. The book quickly became a New York Times bestseller. It's called Seeking a Law, Finding Jesus by Nabil Qureshi. God is moving. T is for tribes. H is for Hindus. U is for Chinese. M is for Muslims. B is for Buddhists. I used to think Buddhism was the fat guy you rubbed on your way to the Chinese buffet. You know? Orange chicken. You know, I didn't know. I had no idea. I thought Buddhism was founded by a guy named Buddha. I thought he was heavy. I had no idea, like, it was not founded by a guy named Buddha. He was not heavy. And the founder of Buddhism was a Hindu. The founder of Buddhism was a Hindu named Siddhartha Gautama who got disillusioned from Hinduism left at age like 30, left his wife and child, went south into, into, into India. He was in Nepal. He went south into India. And he, he vowed, I'm going to sit under a tree until I find the meaning of life. He sits under a tree for 49 days, living on a grain of rice a day. And then he passes out and he sees a great light. And when he comes to, people around him were yelling, enlightened one, enlightened one, enlightened one. Of course, they didn't speak English, so it didn't sound like that. They spoke the Pali language. So they were yelling, enlightened one in Pali, which is Buddha, Buddha, Buddha. For the rest of his life, for the next 60 years, he travels North India teaching what he saw. At age 83, someone put a bad piece of meat in his beggar's bowl, and he died of food poisoning. And today, 650 million people are Buddhists. Someone asked Siddhartha Gautama near the end of his life, how can I be free from sin? How can I be free from sin? And Siddhartha Gautama said, take a piece of wood, let it float downstream for three years. After three years, release a blind turtle. When that blind turtle finds the wood, you're free. I mean, think about that. Think about the hopelessness. Verses 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Right? But what happens is we have Buddhists in our life, in our neighborhood, and they're, they're clinging to this blind turtle idea. And yet we come along and ignore them and think they're fine. Mauritania, 99% Muslim. Yemen, 99% Muslim. Maldives, 99% Muslim. Turkey, 96% Muslim. Thailand, 85% Buddhist. Cambodia, 83% Buddhist. Myanmar, 80% Buddhist. Bhutan, 75% Buddhist. India, 75% Hindu. Nepal, 
75% Hindu. We need to do more than just send Christians to help Christians become better Christians. A friend of mine got a chance to hear the marketing director for Coca-Cola speak at a conference in Atlanta. There was a question answer session. Someone raised a question and said, and said hey, what's the vision of Coca-Cola? And the marketing director said, well, at Coca-Cola, we make it really easy what our vision is. You can ask people and they know it. The vision of Coca-Cola is that a bottle of Coke would be within one kilometer of every person on the planet. And my friend texted me, and he's like, oh, that the church would have that vision. A spirit-filled community of believers within one kilometer of every place on the planet. Why has Coca-Cola picked up on it with sugar water, but the church has not picked up on it? Every blue dot you see represents a community of 50,000 Christians. Every blue dot you see represents a community of 50,000 Christians. Every green dot you see represents a community of 50,000 Muslims. Every green dot you see represents a community of 50,000 Muslims. Every orange dot you see represents a community of 50,000 Buddhists. Every orange dot you see represents a community of 50,000 Buddhists. And every yellow dot you see, every yellow dot you see represents a community of 50,000 Hindus. God is interested in reaching the yellow, the orange, and the green. We don't need the word 1040 window to see it. You can see it. My wife and I live in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Every week we go to church on Sunday, get in the car, get all the five kids loaded and locked. We're off and we're driving, 10 and 2, and I'm sitting there and I'm, 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 Looking, and I, I'm looking at my odometer, because I do this drive every day, and I'm like, okay, it takes us about 17 minutes to get to church, okay? And like 0.2 miles, 0.2 miles from my house, I'm pointing, and I'm like, Jess, there's a church right there. We could sleep in like 12 minutes. Why don't we go there? And she's like, remember, we didn't like the, the preaching. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Jess, 1.4 miles, one is another church. Why don't we go there? Oh, remember, they don't allow coffee in the sanctuary. Jess, 2.7 miles, two points, there's another church. Why don't we go there? Oh, remember, we didn't like the youth group for the kids. Jess, 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 4.8, 4.8. They're not spirit-filled. Jess, 5.2. We'll just go to our church. I travel 5.2 miles and I pass seven churches. 
my wife and I started in Yemen. We got backpacks on. We went to United Arab Emirates. We went to Oman, went up to Manama Bahrain, into Doha, Qatar, up to Kuwait City, Kuwait. We traveled 1,980 miles, and I didn't pass seven churches. You will pass more churches on your way to lunch than there are in the entire Arab world. But we are consumed with sending Christians to help Christians become better Christians. Father, we just lift up this to you. We know you want to reach these people that's represented, and we just pray we would volunteer. Whether that means to go or to stay, we just we want to play a part, Lord. And so we just invite you to interrupt our life that we would play a part. In your name, amen.